Hello again, everybody. I'm here again with TC McCarthy. This has been the long promised uh, show that I promised TC, but we, <laughs> we never we never get to it because we, we just talk too much about geopolitics and uh, we just got a little carried away with the Russia thing. Um, by the way, still no. Uh, yep. The site can't be reached. Reach. The connection was reset. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I, I still can't uh, get to the English version of the Kremlin. Anyway, today we're going to talk about TC's writing career and some of the books that you can check out. Um, we, we have discussed it tangentially on prior episodes, but this time this is for TC to you know talk a little bit more about the writing he does, which is actually, if you're into geopolitics, military science fiction, it's extremely Interesting. So TC, if you just like talk about how you got into the writing scene, like kind of like very high level biography, it'd be, it'd be great. Yeah. So I always wanted to be a literary author. That was my, that was my first love was. You wanted to write about like uh, cancer and uh, divorce in middle age. Yeah. yeah, That's really what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to university of Virginia. Uh, Oh, it's a good story. I may have told this before. Sorry if I did. I was at high school graduation and the speaker was um, George Plimpton. And in case mm. people listening or watching don't know who George is. Is he Plimpton still alive? Is, yeah, I think he is. He's, uh, he, he wrote this book, Paper Lions. He was a sports writer, I think. He, he's a writer, very well-known writer. Who but he, also but he, he, he's a writer who would actually like, uh, you know, if he wanted to write about professional sports, he would he become a professional athlete. Yeah. yeah. They made yeah. a movie about Paper Lions where he actually played for... Help me out here. Was he Patriots or the? Detroit I don't. Lions? I don't know that much about him. I, I just know he, like, he was pretty amazing what he what he did. But uh, you know, he's got this pompous, almost British accent that's completely fake. I'm sure, because he's from New England, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, he's like he's like he reminds me of uh, William F. F. Buckley. Like exactly. they talk the same way, yeah. same kind of uh, you know intonation and everything. It's so mid Atlantic accent, right? Yeah. So I go up to him after the graduation, and, I, and you know, here I am, 18 years old. Um, obviously much younger. And, and I said to him, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Plimpton, I really loved your speech. Look, I, 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 all I want to do is be a writer. Can, can you give me some advice? And he goes, he goes, yes, <laughs> become a banker or a lawyer. There are far too many writers as it is. And you'll make far more money if you go into those fields. <laughs> <laughs> and so... So, uh, so I was devastated. Did you tell them how unstable banking was? No. <laughs> I was devastated. Or that you have to work 120 hours a week? Can you tell yeah. you that? No. And so I went to, I went to college, uh, University of Virginia, and, uh, you know, with like bright eyes, went into the, to the um, creative writing uh, department. And they had, the head of the department was like some, I can't remember his name now, but back then he was like a big literary figure. And you had to submit writing samples and then do an interview. And so I submitted my writing samples and all I had written up until that point were short stories, science fiction, those types of things. I hadn't actually written anything literary. So I submitted those naively. Um, oh my God, I've never been more embarrassed. The guy, the guy basically, they didn't even interview me. I go in there and he said, yes, we've read your material and we don't write this kind of stuff, science fiction. So sorry, no. And then just kicked me out. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't think I wrote for a couple of years after that, honestly. And um, wait, 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 wait. So, so this was at UVA, like their writing yeah. program? Yeah. 
their writing well, program. Why would somebody like it? People should be encouraged, right? Like, I, I don't know. There, there's some people who believe that some, like there's certain people who just will never be writers. Um, I'm not in that camp. I, I'm in that, I'm in that camp where you just, if you just grind it out at any, at almost anything, unless, you know, you and I aren't going to be NBA players, no, no, no matter how much yeah. we grind yeah. it out, but, <clears throat> but writing, I think, you know, as long as you, if you have good, interesting experiences in your life, you have the capability to be. Look, I, I, I don't say this very often, but it's, it's a concept I have. If you look at piano or violin or mathematics, you, you can get prodigies, child prodigies who yep. are just brilliant and can get up at, at age 10. And, and, you know, I don't know enough about music to say what they can play, but you know what I'm, you know, where I'm going with this. Um, recently there we'll was, say, we'll say Rachmaninoff, even though I have no idea what yeah. that means or how hard it is, but it sounds like I'm smart. This is kind of what journalists do. I'll, I'll, I'll pretend to be a journalist. Yeah. Like, uh, Rachmaninoff is, uh, you know, well, hold on. Is it Putin says that's going to be canceled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I think recently my theory almost got destroyed because somebody, like, there was a child prodigy writer and who came out and was writing brilliant stuff. Well, it turns out that was all a hoax, that it was some older writer using a younger kid to, to be the front for this. You know what I mean? It was just all mm -hmm. BS. And I think the reason for that is just what you just said. Life experiences play so much into writing mm -hmm. uh, that, um, you know, you, you really, if you're, if you want to be a, a, a good solid writer, I think you are drawing from your life experiences. And so on average, I would argue that, you know, yeah, people write when they're in their twenties, you know, it, it happens, but you know, I don't see any 10 year old prodigy writers. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I kind of took a couple of years off after getting that response and, and keep in mind too, this is the nineties and um, early 90s. So we didn't even have internet at that point, right? And I was having to submit short stories to magazines. Mm -hmm. I was having to go to the library and get that big book that had all the listings of who were the, the writer's editors. market. Yeah, writer's market and, and use that to submit. And um, at the time I was using a typewriter. So it was a much slower process. I, I kept at it for 20 years. I kept at it with short stories. And um, uh, it took me 20 years probably I was in my forties. So yeah, I'd say 20 years before I sold my first short story to a semi-professional market and then uh, ultimately sold my first uh, book trilogy to orbit books. So if you're not willing to put in that kind of time, um, you know, I would argue maybe, maybe go try something else because it doesn't always take that long, but it can. Did you, did you try uh, short stories first before you did the novels? Yeah, and I never had any success. My my, I think the closest thing I got was a personalized rejection letter from Strange Tales back in, back in the. It went out of business for a while, so it was just before it went out of business. Okay, but you submitted probably hundreds, hundreds. Oh yeah, not, tons. Yeah. I used to keep my rejection letters, then I threw them all away. <clears throat> and I would also during this time submit to literary um, magazines as well. So I was doing and you, little, had, you actually book. had more success there, right? I did. My first pro sale was to a literary online publication that Nick Mamatas turned me on to them. Um, and they paid, at the time, the pro rate was five cents a word. They paid five cents a word. 
At least they paid. At least they didn't yeah. give you a subscription. Yeah, yeah. Or, exactly. or make you pay to sub- did they make you pay to submit? No, no, it was free. I'm trying to see the other one that I that I got into before I think I had success with anyone else was um story quarterly. Oh, it's showing that backwards, isn't it? Oh well. Uh, no, anyway. I see the S. I see the S just fine. Yeah, story quarterly, which is a um that's an academic kind of one out of Rutgers University. So it, it you know it's funny how I had better luck with the snobs um in in kind of academia and in the literary circuit than I did. Or do they know you had a PhD? Do they know you have a PhD? Uh, I'd have to go back and I'd have to, I don't think I told them about CIA, but um, I may have mentioned my education. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're the right, 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 uh, usually though, it's still hard to get into it because they want, they want to see like a pedigreed MFA as well. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I, I I don't think I've watched your episodes yet, but I know you talked about that stuff with with Nick again, Nick Mamatas for people who are watching. Um, and I fully subscribe to his ideas on all this. Where this is partly from from my own personal experience, but also when I first started writing and having success, it was it was in it was due in part because I was taking Nick's advice. And um, <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the things that I took away and maybe I got this wrong, but it's what I, it's what I took away from what he was saying is MFAs don't really matter all that much. Um, Not for commercial fiction. Right. Yeah. And and I, I, I tell my daughter who likes to write, don't go get an MFA, go get a job as a, you know, get your degree in biology or chemistry, go have a career in something else, but keep writing in your spare time. Um, I think that's a far smarter way to go about this. And and in a way, you know what? Plimpton was right when he gave me that advice. Go do something else. Yeah, I think um, the founder of Blackstone went to see, um, what was his name? Uh, Steve, Steve, Steven Schwartzman. I think that's Is that name. Blackstone is the, uh, is it the hedge fund? Is that right? It's private equity. Private equity, okay. Yeah, it's like this massive private equity firm. When he, he went and somebody arranged a meeting with Harriman, like the state department guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was, he was, he was asking about like, what he, you know, what he needed to do to, you know, he had such a successful career. What can I do to get there? And the guy's like, look, um, there's no way I could have done what I did if my like father didn't become extremely wealthy from like a railroad career. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like if you like if you're coming from nothing and you need to be you want to be successful, like you, you should go into, you know, something more lucrative like banking. Or yeah, same, yeah. same thing. And then, and then obviously he did. And the rest is the rest is history. But, yeah, there's there's some there's some sense of that for his generation, our generation. Like things have been so unstable. Like, look, I went into banking and, uh, you know, I was there in 2008. When you know when when the when the economy almost yeah. collapsed, that'd be that right? would have been brutal. You know, I went to the military when we hadn't fought any wars, and then we fought three wars. Yeah. So like, there's just been a ton of instability. Then we had COVID, right? That was a once in a century event. The last one we had was the equine flu, and now we're kind of getting World War One in reverse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, in a different in a different order. So. It's there's really no one size fits all for this. It's just each, each story. But anyway, let's get back to you. I'm 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 kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. getting out of focus. So so you published these three books. Yep. How hard was that? How hard was it to find a publisher? Boy, that was um 
that was it was tough. And um, I'll say for anyone starting out, if you're watching this, there's there's a website that I used, and I don't know if it's still around now, but it was it was absolutely phenomenal, uh, called Absolute Right. I don't know, Sean, if you keep in touch with these kinds of things. I don't know if it's still there. It but might still be there, but I haven't looked at it in years. Yeah, absolute, you know, like absolute vodka, but it's absolute right, W-R-I-T-E. Um, and uh, I got a lot from that website, how to write a query letter to find an agent. Um, you know, just the basics, the fundamentals of the business, which is what I was really lacking. You know, the writing I could I could do, writing the, the fiction, but the business side of it, I, I didn't really grasp. And that that really helped a lot, number one, just, just figuring out the, the basics of how to get started. Um, so I went through, uh, once I finished my draft novel, it wasn't three books, it was one book with three separate um, novellas in it. And um, so I, uh, I took it to every agent I could find and I got close calls for maybe one or two agents. Um, but I ultimately signed with Alex Field, um, not because he was the, the last one I went to, right? Of course, you know, the last one you go to who accepts you is going to be the last one. Literally, there was nobody else after Alex to, to query with this. And the only reason I found him was because of absolute right. He popped up there. He wasn't in the normal, um, uh, the normal kind of places where you would find them. He probably is now, but back then he wasn't. And so this is, um, in case you're watching, this is Alexander Field. He now runs an agency called The Bindery or Bindery. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, and you can find him online. But um, so Alex, uh, you know, put in and, um, and we started working on submittals and uh, got close calls from like, um, ang not Angry Robot. What's the one in the UK? Something Robot. Um, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I can't remember. Bad um, robot? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it is Angry Robot then. Because that's yeah, actually, yeah, I think it is Angry Robot. So we got a couple of close calls. And then um, eventually I got a phone call from uh, Dong Wong Song at Orbit Books. He's now an agent. Dong Wong is now an agent. Um, but at Orbit Books saying, hey, you know, can we talk? And I, I said, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, I'm nervous as hell at this point, right? Just totally terrified. And um, so we started talking about the books and he was really trying to gauge how flexible was I? How hard would I be to work with? Um, mm -hmm. Because looking back, you know, we never had this discussion, but I think looking back on that, just that first conversation, he had already figured out that he wanted to go with, with what I had written, but he wanted to see... Um, if I was an a-hole, you know, basically. And uh, so that conversation went really well. And he said, well, look, he said the way- It did? Yeah. Really? Yeah, why? Yeah, why? <laughs> <laughs> Are you messing, messing with, with you. me? <laughs> of course I'm messing with you. So, uh, <clears throat> so he, he said, um, you know, about halfway through the conversation, maybe toward the end, he said, listen, the way your book is written right now, it's not quite going to work. What do you think we can do? And I had already um, been prepared for that answer because at that point I had started to kind of see um, through conversations with Alex, I think, or maybe just from my own, um, that, you know, having three novellas that were kind of related, but not for a novel, for somebody's first novel was not a great idea. So I said, well, listen, you know, we could turn this into a trilogy and I'll, I'll expand on each one of those three sections and make them separate books. And he was like, Yes. 
That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> he, he already he already knew the answer. He just wanted to he just wanted yeah. to see if you'd come up with it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so that that kind of uh, opened the door. The next was months waiting for contracts, going back and forth. Um, another things another thing I'll tell you is that the publishing industry is absolutely slow. Nothing happens immediately, right? I mean, it just creeps along. And uh, probably a year and a half, two years, maybe I can't remember. After we had that conversation, my first book came out, Germline. Germline was about, is the title, and it was about. Oh, and so it was about um, uh, a kind of nearish future conflict between America and Russia over um, over natural resources in uh, in the the Far East. I'd say uh, in Kazakhstan. Actually, I guess that's is that Central Asia. Central yeah. Eastern Asia, yeah. Central Asia, yeah, and um, and so uh, the the whole thing takes place underground, consists of uh, an arms race involving genetic modification and uh, genetic um, kind of uh, creating uh, super soldiers through cloning technology, etc. And uh, the the experiences that one person, it's written from the view of a reporter who was embedded with uh, American forces um, written from his also, view. also addicted to drugs, which is yeah. Drug addict, addict, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's interesting. And uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of that is honestly, you know, at the time I had just left um, when I started writing that I had been away. I had left the CIA and been away for about four or five years. And so I won't say that the book is autobiographical, but I will say that there's stuff when, when it talks about um, the main character is Oscar. When it talks about Oscar's reaction to war and things he experiences and sees and talking about being a spectator uh, you know, on war, um, a lot of that stuff was drawn from my experiences that I can't talk about. That book, yeah. had, to be, that book had to be scrubbed by um, CIA uh, reviewers to make sure that nothing classified was in there. I was about to ask you that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. We're, I think we have like very limited time right now. So what, a, after those three books, what did you do next? Right. So um, after those three books, I kind of, um, look, I had gotten a view on big publishing at that point and realized that I didn't want to be tied to that anymore, to be honest. And um, I'm not just saying that because I'm not with a major publisher anymore. I literally had experiences where I was being told, you can't tweet that, you can't say this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I, I, that does not sit well with me. You can't say that kind of crap to me. So I had, you know, I wound up um, at the time I had moved to another agent and was getting the same or similar kind of stuff from that agent. So I wound up firing that agent and going back to Alex and essentially mutually agreeing with Orbit that that uh, my future science fiction wasn't going to be published with them. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll just inject really quick. There, there was one, one I'm not, I'm not going to say their name, but one person that I've interviewed on this show who has, has done like very extremely well with, with one of his books. Um, he was trying to pitch another, you know, another book, maybe I think on the fiction side, to his agent and his agent said something to the effect of, oh, well, right now I'm only presenting books by uh, POCs, people of color. Yeah, yeah. And look, that's, that's, the industry has decided to go in that direction. 
um, they're private companies. They can do they can do what they want. But the writing was on the wall. I saw it that uh, that I was I was kind of um, look the kinds of things I was seeing. This one agent that I fired, the things I was seeing come out on their Twitter feed. I realized, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not getting I'm not getting any representation from these people because uh, you know I I am in a particular not demographic, but it it could have been political view whatever. Uh, I, I was not somebody that this agency liked or wanted and um and so it was very um disturbing in a way uh, and, this, and this is this is my concern for the entire industry and for the, the country in general so stephen barnes who is in weird world war four he's a you know great science fiction author he has this theory and i'm just going to repeat it and i'm probably not going to do great justice to it but i on the whole agree with it the left and right each have very valuable functions for society. The left is the part of society that exposes the country to risk, changes the, you know, injects change into society, much of it for the better. Now, some of this change is, you know, for the worse, I'm, and I'm not going to get into semantics about what that is because it's all opinion, etc. The function of the right is stability. And when you know the right's role is to put a governor on this change so that the change is uh, you know happens in a more modulated form so that things don't fall apart from the excessive instability. If you change too fast, you know things will collapse. For the same reason that if you are too repressive, and install order uh, to such an extent that you ossify the you know, social structures to the point that they collapse from the sheer weight of, of that. But both the left and right have critical roles. When you remove one or the other from a conversation, you're going to have problems, Yeah. right? Yeah. Because you're going to have people who aren't talking to each other. And when the same thing with when you censor people, when you censor language, my view is for the same reason I, I lost you know, I, I lost my rocker about not being able to access the Kremlin's website on the last on the last um, yeah. episode. What happens is if you don't if you don't allow people to vent in public, a you're not gonna you're gonna allow those views to metastasize, especially bad views or, or views that aren't helpful. Whereas if you allow that debate to happen under the light of the sun and the light of day bad ideas will die. They will collapse on their own merits. But in darkness, bad ideas metastasize. Yeah. yeah. And you also don't get early warnings. Like bad things just happen because there are no, you can't monitor it on social media. You can't, you can't see it coming. So anyway, that's just my general philosophy on these no, things. I, I agree with it. And, and you, you know, I, I honestly, I don't have the data to back up what I'm about to say. But I can imagine that it that it plays a role in terms of when you're so skewed to one side in in publishing, um, or the any, military any, for that matter, right? Yeah, any entertainment, like people should be terrified whatever. that the military is yeah. like skewed to the right. Yeah, right. It's you're you're going to exclude fifty percent of your audience. Yeah, fifty percent of the people, quite frankly, don't want to see message fiction about whatever pick your pick your radical left topic you know, and by the way message fiction is is fine just like 
A, don't mandate that it has to be message fiction. And B, if you're open to message fiction, you should be open to message fiction from both sides. Well, right? and, and that's what I'm getting at is, is it is mandated. It's, it's almost like a requirement now. And so you wind up with, I'm not going to get into this. This is the whole, yeah, yeah, we yeah, could go yeah. for an hour, you know, but it's. Yeah, but, it's, but just gen- as, long, as long as we keep it to general principles and don't point yeah. to any yeah. specific, because this happens in every um, aspect of, of American life. Like I've seen it on the right where like, I generally am a principles-based person, Yeah. right? You set up a principle and then people abide by that principle. But when I see things violated, like, uh, I mean, again, I don't want to go too much into this, but like. The Biden, the, the Biden laptop story. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I'm a, like, when I see it reported in the New York Times and Washington Post, I'm like, guys, you knew about this for two years. Yeah, that should, they should, they should really be punished for that. I mean, you can't it's, punish them, but, but like, but what it just, know, but, it's just an example of like why they have such a lack of credibility. And what, what I was going to say is, and this is where I think it's, where I'm, I'm off base to be blunt, but it does, the thought pops into my head. Oh, well, that really explains as, you know, as a writer, perhaps that, that kind of skewed vision does play a role with the fact that we're seeing, oh, the big six, now it's the big five. When is it going to be the big four in publishing? Well, of course, there are all sorts of market forces at play there that have nothing to do with what kind of fiction they're publishing. Well, no, no, um, it actually, it actually may have that because but what I was going to say is go, if your sales go down, yeah, you're, you're going to be, bought. you're going to, yeah, you're going to get acquired. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, it, you know, what I was going to finish up with is it couldn't hurt to put good fiction, good writing at the top of your requirements list to help combat well, that, you know? So and, here's, so, so, so to play devil's advocate. Yeah. In this, in this, hyper-partisan environment. We talked earlier, at least in the prior episode, where 5% of voices are 80% of the noise. Yeah. So like to defend traditional publishing, they have to be very careful what they choose to publish because you know, they, they, they could have a mob, a mob impact yeah. on you know, and, and, you know, lawsuits and things like that. That is, afraid. One, that is certainly one consideration. Fe- believe, fear is driving a huge portion of this. You can believe what I'm about to say or not, because it's anecdotal. It's personal experience, and I'm not yeah. going to give names. Um, having seen it from the inside, it's not just fear. It's... Is it I power? Even, is I don't it, even know what it, word to use. It's ideology, dude. It's... um. You've got true believers in there, man. It's not. Uh, it's not just um, fear of reprisal. All right. So, other books that you have. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You, you got to cut this off soon. Like, I mean, yeah. it's already we're five minutes over. Right? Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I got to get going. Um. So my last two books that I've put out are with Bain Books, who I love. Bain Books is a great publisher. They publish left, right. They publish the whole spectrum. And uh, politics is is kind of um, uh, you know it's not even a consideration with them. I don't so, get so weird, calls, weird, you know? weird, weird World War Four, which your story you have a story in. Yep. There are stories that will make people on the right cringe, and there are stories that will make people on the left cringe. And that's the and way it I should am be. so proud of that. I'm so yeah. proud that I was able to do that. That is the way it should be. And Bain is the last bastion of publishing, I think the last kind of oasis for people like me because once you get away from Bain now you're talking about small publishers 
And Bain, I would say, is a mid-sized publisher. They're not one of the big ones, but they're also not a micro press or anything like that. They're, they're pretty well known in the industry. Um, maybe on a par with Tor, I don't know. You know, we, that would be a whole other topic of conversation. Um, but, you know, Bain, if anything happens to Bain, I think a lot of people are going to be in trouble. And I hope, I hope it continues to, to work as well as it has. But I have two books with them now, um, not to mention all the anthologies of yours that I've been in. And um, Tiger Bright and Tiger Burning are, are two books in a, in a uh, kind of far future alien invasion, um, really entertaining, meant to not, this, these are not literary works. These are meant to be completely entertaining reads for people who enjoy, you know, pew pew science fiction with lots of aliens and, uh, and uh, lots of kind of intrigue and uh, uh, political machinations, et cetera. So um, I, would, I would strongly encourage people to check out um, those books from Bain uh, if, if they have a minute. And I think your last um, anthology, World War, Weird World War IV, um, you talked about in, um, uh, on that show you were on, uh, Why Am I Drawing a Blank? Coast to Coast. And so that must have gotten a big spike with sales. Although I know you were probably um, talking about your most recent one that's going to be coming out next, but yeah, it actually it actually pushed it on the Amazon new releases for short stories to number three, just behind. Oh, oh, actually, yeah, we can't really talk about this, but you'll you'll laugh. So the first one you're not going to laugh at. First one was like a Star Wars anthology, and then the second one, number two, was uh, an S.A. Covey expanse and anthology. Wait, say that again. <laughs> A what anthology? The Expanse. No. Yeah. I didn't even know they were doing those anthologies. I think it's an anthology. Like it was under short story anthology, so it has to be an anthology. And it was one ahead of Janelle Monet, the actress. <laughs> <laughs> she has like some anthology or something like that. So that's um, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it 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 it, it certainly helped. It's speaking of which, it is uh April 3rd, my friend, and you had a deadline for April 1st. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I, have to... I have more time on this one. Okay. I shouldn't say this publicly, but I have, I have a little bit more time. But I uh, totally forgot about that with all the things that have been going on, Sean. I'm sorry. Yeah, just I, I got you. You'll be oh. in there. You'll be in there. Um, for, for folks like that, that don't know that we're working on a, uh, another anthology called Weird World War III. So... Um, we, we're sorry, Weird World War III China, to be very clear. And as we know, uh, TC loves loves the Chinese government. Um, <laughs> Z, Xi is his favorite politician of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, better red than dead, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> Any, anything else you want to tell uh, new writers before you, before uh yeah, I made you 25 minutes late. No, no, no. I think that about covers it, but I appreciate it. Appreciate being on. All right. Thank you, my friend. Always, right. always a pleasure. See Thanks, you soon. Thanks, Sean. All right. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.